Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Hi, I'm Jerry Boyer. Welcome to Meeting of Minds podcast. My guest today um, is former economics professor, uh, former member of the United States Congress, and currently uh, dean of the largest Christian business school in America, perhaps in the world, that is Liberty University's business school. He is Dean David Bratt. Dean Bratt, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Jerry. Good to be with you and, and Susan. And uh, always uh, great to have a conversation with you. So there are a number of things I want to talk about. There are issues that you know, we work together on, um, I think maybe, you know, the one that lead off with is the whole world of ESG, woke capitalism, the politicization of uh, corporations. um, And you also, um, you know, the the, the school uh, sponsors a a CEO summit, which is bringing together leaders who are very much leading in the right direction away from that politicized capital. So I hope we can yeah. get to that as well. But sure. uh, just kind of give me your take as a business school dean on what's happened to big business in America. Yeah, well, uh, it's very interesting. I, I, there's, I don't think there's any 100% understanding. Uh, but if you just look at all the threats to the United States, uh, it's not monolithic, right? I mean, you've got the globalists. Uh, who are on a war with a nation state. And a lot of that is just Marxist driven. And I'm serious about that, right? And so uh, the, the Marxist thought is destructive, right? It was destructive of the Judeo-Christian religion against the rule of law, against uh, free market capitalism, you know, any of the foundational elements of the Judeo-Christian West. It's critical. Then you have the the, the competition with China, which I think now finally people are starting to see is a true competition. Well, they are a nation state and they want to continue to be the dominant or or hegemonic leader in the world. They're not quite there yet, Uh, but they're also attacking uh, through, you know, everything from economic warfare, financial warfare, uh, fentanyl through the border, uh, ideological warfare. You know, all of it was captured uh, back in about 2000 in a book called Unrestricted Warfare. Uh, then you have the American left, which is no longer liberal, uh, and it's just ideological, right? Again, a huge Marxist influence on taking down the business class. And, you know, this is very interesting because if you just look at the big tech firms, I think the our big five tech firms in the U.S., the market cap of those five firms is greater than all European firms combined hmm. when you look at market cap. And, there, and the the surprising thing and the interesting thing is that they're all uh, woke CEOs, right? So it's it's very interesting that they're going along uh, with a lot of this. And, that, you know, that's in contrast to if you just take the Fortune 500, uh, most are woke, but I, I don't think most of them are on the leftist, you know, Marxist agenda. I just think if they don't go along, they get punished. And uh, the tide may be turning uh, on that uh, story. Uh, but, you know, as the facts emerge now with the, the Toyota story coming out, the amount of rare earth minerals needed to do some of the EV stuff, uh, the narratives are, are getting increasingly weak. 
uh, as the data kind of come in on you know ESG, the environment. Uh, China gets free press. It's always positive. They're the worst polluter in the world. So that's just nonsensical. Uh, social uh, social do-gooder stuff, uh, that's up for debate, right? The conservatives don't do a good job of showing how we help people. Hmm. And the left owns the mainstream media, right? So they're, you know, they've just had a Marxist critique, right? Capitalists are bad. We're going to help you. Well, that's starting to fall apart, too. And then ESG and then corporate governance, uh, you know, that that is not. Uh, well understood uh, by too many Americans, uh, what corporate governance is hmm. uh, and how it can be manipulated. But uh, th- there is pressure coming in now. You know, it takes a year or two for the American people to wake up. Uh, but some of the corporate boards now and the leaders of companies and their constituents are starting to message. And so uh, across the board, I think I think it's the, the ship is finally starting to turn. It's going to turn slowly. It's not going to look like a win for quite a while. But it's coming. Well, and I think it's important that there be business education that is yeah. not yeah. aligned with the yeah. uh, with the march through the institutions, right? The long right. march, Gramsci's long march through the institutions. Yeah. Because it seems to me that one of the things that's going on with these corporations is that Fortune 500 corporations recruit from the quote unquote best schools. Right. Well, the problem is the quote unquote best schools aren't the best schools anymore. They're the, they yeah. have the best name brand yeah. um, because of a, a glorious past, but yeah. they're essentially ideologically captured. So yeah. if you just hire from the Ivy League and put somebody in charge of DEI or human resources or whatever, you think you're going to get excellence and what you're really going to get is ideological conformity, which seems yeah. to me this creates an opportunity yeah. for somebody like you who's yeah. training future business leaders um, because these companies and these boards, these boards are not generally ideologically captured. Right. right. Um, the, you know, uh, t- they tend to be older. They're a previous generation of businesses. Yeah. And they don't want ideologically captured staff, too. We, you, yeah. But we need to give them alternatives, uh, of an alternative feeder system for executives and for board members as well. Right. Yeah. right? And, you know, a school like Liberty, uh, because of just the sheer size of your program. How many people, yep. how many students do you have in your business programs? The business program, we got 3,000 students undergrad and then 25,000 online. So 28,000 business students and then the universities at 130,000. And uh, we integrate uh, seriously the Christian faith into every single lecture. It's not into a course or, you know, we, we try to hit the topic. Uh, the, the faculty are all people of faith, uh, and the uh, they they weave uh, the the faith into their disciplines uh, as best they see it, and they're they're outstanding faculty. So you've got twenty eight thousand business students, yeah, right? And you've got a marketplace that is waking up to the fact yes. that they're no longer that it's no longer safe to hire from the Ivy Leagues, um, yeah. and think that you're going to get executives who are focused on profit. Yeah, um, you might get exec- executives who focus on social justice. Yeah, um, it seems to me that's a tremendous opportunity uh, for. Yeah, it is, and and just all the old, all the old school ideas. You know, Max Weber and the Protestant ethic, etc. Uh, you know, I mean, it's for real, right? The 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 Judeo Christian uh, West uh, has always produced a a work ethic uh, because we know we're here for a short period. Right. And uh, we're here to build the kingdom of God on earth. Uh, so in addition to getting a paycheck and, you know, paying your bills, et cetera, there's meaning involved. 
And our students really get that. You know, they, they're the type that will come early, stay late, hmm. uh, have a smile. They like people. They love everybody, right? They're commanded to, but they intuitively, intuitively enjoy loving people as well. And so, yeah, no, we're sitting in a, in a, in a just a great position. Uh, our numbers are going up year by year by year. Uh, you know, and so uh, that's, that's good news. And, you know, universities, uh, name brand universities, I won't name them in our area, are seriously, they have mandatory pronoun studies for incoming freshmen. And that's at every school you look at. And I'm not exaggerating, right? The major universities, right? Yeah. State schools, et cetera. And so uh, when the kids see that, they are, they're numb too. They're like, what is going on? Yeah, and, and if you're a big business, you got to wonder, what are you hiring? Yeah. When you're hiring yeah. somebody who's leading with their pronouns, yeah. you're hiring trouble. <laughs> you're hiring future <laughs> lawsuits, ideological conflict, identity politics, divisiveness, as opposed to someone who comes to work to work. Yeah. 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 But um, I will say one thing, you, you, you correctly... Uh, said the CEOs aren't ideologically, uh, you know, all on the same where the boards aren't. But I tell you, when you go downstream in a lot of these major firms, the HR departments, et cetera, oh, oh yeah. it gets a little creative quick, right? It does. The, the ESG departments, the HR departments, the DEI departments, and the corporate social responsibility departments. This is one of the things I've talked a lot with the proxy services about, the ISSs and the Glass-Lewises, which definitely are tilting left. But, you know, they have kind of a legitimate you know, problem here, which is when they go out to their clients, they say, send, you know, clients would be asset managers, send yep. us your people and we will form a consensus about what your policies are going to be. But the yep. CEO doesn't come to the meeting. Right, right. The CFO doesn't come to the meeting. The CIO doesn't. Nobody who does math comes to <laughs> the meeting. Right, right. You know, um, right. so the, the, the social justice people come. And so that skews yep. the whole process because they they uh, they self-select. So, right. Um, you know, yeah, a, a little a little humor to go with that. 60 Minutes did their big uh, artificial intelligence piece. And they, they let their CEO uh, go on, who's a sharp cookie. But then they had uh, HR on the show. All the folks were from HR. There were no techies. They didn't let the techies near the mic because they didn't <laughs> want the truth. To... <laughs> That's interesting. You yeah. know, I want to go back to something you said a, a, a moment ago about the, the, the impact of a biblical worldview. If memory yeah. serves me correctly, that was your um, doctoral dissertation, wasn't it? On the yeah, I did. Well, I did a MDiv, Master's in Divinity at Princeton Seminary, and then a PhD in economics. Got it. And which one was about the influence of Christianity on the rise of capitalism and economic? Am I right in remembering that one of them? Yeah, was no, a that's exactly right. No, I studied history of thought, methodology, history of science in my in my seminary days, along with all the you know the religion courses, and then PhD in economics. Yeah, I did cross country economic growth following the Solo model that won the Nobel Prize and Man Q at Harvard who uh, wrote just an unbelievable, people were just laughing because his theory matched the data almost perfectly, which never happens in economics. So the, the, he provided the framework uh, that explains what causes economic growth in a cross-country uh, sample, 120 countries in the world. And so capital, technological growth, and he added human capital. And then I added a Protestant variable, and the T-stat jumped through the roof. Yep. And they, boy, oh boy, 
the publishing presses weren't in a hurry to show that result, to put it mildly. And my dissertation committee didn't enjoy it. Either. You know, I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm seeing the same thing in the data. One of the speeches that I've been giving over the yeah. years is I do 2000 years of economic history in 20 minutes or less. Right. Oh, wow. And, and what I have yeah. is I have like little bubbles yeah. and they move. Yeah. As GDP Gap per minder. capita. You know. Gap minder. Uh, well, but we, a- we, it's like that, but we've created yeah. our own and it's better. Oh, wow. Right? Good. So Good. We, we created our own system that's more interactive, but it's like Good. Gapminder. Yeah, but yeah. we coded for religion. Yep. Right. Yes. So, you yes. know, so there's a there's a blue for Eastern religions and there's green for Islam. Yeah. And the red spectrum is Christianity. <laughs> but Eastern yep. Orthodoxy is yeah. like orangish red. Right. And Catholic is pink. Yeah. And Protestant is bright red. Yeah. And I yeah. got to tell you, what you see is this bright red geyser yeah. coming out right. of, the, of Amsterdam in the right. 1500s. And yeah. then it hops over with William of Orange. And yep. basically, you see Protestantism leading the world into what they call yep. the Great Takeoff. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it yeah. makes a difference. Christianity makes yeah. a difference. But which kind? I, I mean, I don't want to be biased. I'm actually a yeah. Catholic deacon. OK, I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs> OK. So um, but I'm a Protestant in theology. Um, yeah. it, it matters which Christianity. One yeah. of them was pro-market, and yeah. the other was a little more metaphysical, a little more Aristotle. Um, That's right. You know, and, yeah. and the, the Protestant was a little more he- Hebraic and yeah. dominion-oriented. Right. Yeah. yeah, and Doug North won a Nobel Prize you know, 20 years back for his work on institutions. And so he did a, a you know, his, his brilliant example that he used was to contrast England, uh, England's decentralization, which is the key to the religiosity piece. It's not just, you know, your faith and the number of prayers per day. It's the decentralization, breaking up Rome, breaking up your parliament, uh, freedom, rule of law, Magna Carta, all that kind of stuff. And he contrasted that with Spain, uh, who failed to do those things. And so it's just a brilliant uh, short analysis of people want a, a case study from the, you know, Nobel laureate candidate. But, yeah, no, you hit it spot on. That's the And there's a book from uh, Swanson uh, who who noted the importance of having revolutions from beneath. And you see a little of that happening right now with this populist movement, right? Kind of Tea Party building into a populist that now includes black, brown, blue collar workers. Right. Coalescing, RFK. It's going to be interesting seeing what's coming up. But that that uh, revolution from beneath is happening again, I think. Yeah. And uh, it's fascinating. We've had uh, Deirdre McCloskey on this podcast yep, before. Yep, um, yep. I'm not going to mess with pronouns. I'm just going to refer to right, Deirdre right, McCloskey. Right. Yep. Um, and McCloskey has argued that Christianity has definitely made the difference, but it has to, it's its institutional impact. So yeah, as much right. as I'm for prayer, yeah. uh, the number of prayers you say a day, the personal yeah. piety isn't really the driver here. Um, yep. It is right. institutional right. and cultural change that's yep. the driver here. Yep. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And her thesis, I love her work. She takes on the Marxist. She's got three huge volumes and one of them goes through all the different schools of thought, which explain the causes of modern economic takeoff at about 1776. And her theory, which she proves pretty well, is that uh, it was the change in uh, moral vocabulary. Yes. Associated with work that caused this. And, you know, if you look at it, you know, St. Augustine and Aquinas and Buddha and Confucius, they did not have moral language that asserted that work was virtuous. Uh, but with the Protestant Reformation, et cetera, you do. And so it, but it's kind of funny. She, she will not allow the Protestant ethic in there. She knocks that down 
uh, in the same book. So it's kind of funny. She, this use of moral language is key. Well, where do you think that came from, Deidre? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, she's got a little split in her thought there. Yeah, I think she's, you know, when I talked to her about, so I'll just say Deirdre. I think that Deirdre and I debated about this a little bit. Yeah. Um, and the argument, I, I, I think um, what Deirdre is trying to avoid is yeah. Eurocentrism. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And to which my right. answer is, that's fine. You can avoid. Look, yeah. if the Protestant Reformation had taken place in sub-Saharan Africa, right. sub-Saharan Africa would be the global leader of the economy today. That's right. So that's it's right. not Eurocentrism. It's just that's no. where it happened. Right. That's right. That's right. where it, you know, um, yeah. and Eric Nelson's book on this is great, The Hebrew Republic, because huh. they, they rediscover what Nelson argues is that yeah. there's a rediscovery of the Hebraic root. So the first wave of the Reformation is, OK, we've got a Greek New Testament and yeah. now we know salvation is by faith through grace. Yeah, but it wasn't until the Hebrew start they they start learning Hebrew and they start studying yeah. Torah that yeah. that then you get a new social order and yeah. that starts in the Netherlands and that's why now, right now the reason why babies almost never die yeah. in childbirth um, as opposed to half of children dying as children is right. because of that shift in worldview. That's why we yeah. live to eighty rather than thirty five. I yeah. mean that's the fruit that that bore. Yeah, no, I'm I'm all with you on that. The uh, the Hebraic piece too. Uh, Calvin was the most uh, Jewish uh, theologian you can find. Yes. Pro pro uh, you know Old Testament Hebrew scripture, and then James Madison just as a quirk went to Princeton Seminary, which stayed an extra year to learn Hebrew, yeah, right? To learn Hebrew, and yes, he wrote the Constitution, right? So it's like it's uh, amazing, amazing stuff. I'm it's sorry, been, I stole your line it, there, but no, that's always no, it's. It's been ignored. It's just unbelievably important, and it's been ignored. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, argued that um, class. If if you're well educated in America, the classical languages shouldn't be Latin and Greek only, but Hebrew should be one of the right. classical Absolutely. languages. Absolutely, and you go back yeah. to of Plymouth Plantation. Yep. Right. A, oh, a lot of it's written. A lot of the the notes are written in Hebrew. They were part yes. of it. It was like a little Israel there. Um, it, it is. It's the New Jerusalem, right? It was city on a hill. All that stuff. Yeah. Right. Okay. Fascinating stuff. We're getting we're yeah. kind of geeking out here. But I know no, you did your it. dissertation on this, so I thought that I yeah we kind of unplug. It's you on. very important. It's, it explains modern reality for the people out there who aren't academics. You might forget the basic proposition. That whether you're in sociology or anthropology or literature or history or economics or philosophy, you're explaining the same reality you're supposed to be, right? It's amazing in the modern university how you can have multiple views of human nature across these fields. One of them's got to be more true than the others, right? And it's called science and testing. You, you put together testable propositions to see who's got it right. And I think we got it right. Yeah, there's another Nobelist um, who wrote the book, the, what was it, The Escape from Hunger and Premature Death. Yeah, right. Um, with that photo, yep. I think. Um, and that was the normal course of humanity. Yes. Everybody yes. starving and shivering. And, yes. and and frankly, that's where the ESG folks would have us now. Boy, it's brutal. I know. Kings. Well, it's related, right? Because until 1776, it, on Getter, I mean, on the, the, the data thing you're talking about, everybody made $500 to $1,000 a year until 1700. The whole world, no matter what culture you're in. And why is that? Because you lived under a king or a pharaoh or a despot or whatever, right? Completely centralized. Uh, and it was awful. And so people miss the, the key ingredients. Everyone just looks at modern economics at the margin right now. That's how do you think we got that, right? We got that through the history of getting the rule of law and private property rights and a culture of, of morality. And then Adam Smith on top of all that stuff. Hmm. 
Right, and Smith is really getting it from Pufendorf, and he's getting it from Salamanca School, you know. Late, yep. uh, right? yeah. So this is all yep. coming out of theologians. Um, yep. Right. And uh, all right, so let's. That's that's history. Now there's yep. now, right? Yes. Um, and you've done some lectures, and you do a lot of interviews on this, and you do regular. Um, economic updates um, where you talk about inflation and yeah. you seem to have taken on the mission of reacquainting the world or yeah. acquainting non-economists with now don't run away people there's a, <laughs> just, just just a little bit of algebra coming don't be scared no m v <laughs> equals p q right right if you get this you get it it's right. worth it so right. dave can you just Kind of help us understand MV equals PQ and why it is probably the most important equation in understanding why my grocery bills are so high. Yeah, yeah. Well, MV, M is money, V is velocity, equals, equals, you know, P times Q. P is the price level and Q is the GDP for the country, say. It's the quantity of stuff you make. To make this really easy for people, you, you can ignore a couple of those and let's just make it M equals P. Right at the margin, that's not that far off. Right. You can study the details later. But M equals P. Well, there's an equal sign in the middle. So if you increase the left side, the money supply, and that's the, the amount of cash and, and the amount you have in your checking account, roughly speaking. Uh, if you increase the money supply by 40 percent on the left side of an equation and this is equals what has to happen on the right hand side of the equation. If this goes up by 40 percent, this has to go up by. 40%, 40%. Yep. Right. And so if you print 40% more money, which we at the height of uh, money creation, that's what we were doing. Uh, the price level has got to go up. And then there's some other things that'll stifle that, you know, lower prices from China or some other you know complexities that'll fit into that story. Uh, but the Fed, the, the complex thing of this is, and I talked to uh, out at uh, Stanford, John Taylor, who followed Milton Friedman, right? So Milton Friedman won the, the Nobel Prize for this MV equals PQ. Right. And John Taylor's the living, you know, proponent and, and followed Milton Friedman. And uh, he he said, that, you know, back, this is way back when at some economic conferences, I got to talk to him. And he said uh, the, the Fed caused the 08 financial crisis. And I was like, well, there's all this other stuff, though. There's total corruption, you know, in the financial markets and there's derivatives and all this mortgage back stuff and all that. And I, he says, nope, that didn't cause it. And so that ties back into our equation, right? So if you increase the money supply by a lot, it's all that money has to go somewhere, right? And so this is the part that probably isn't as explained as much, but that money uh, went looking for a rate of return in, in the stock markets and bond markets. And back in 0405, when they printed too much money, it went into the real estate market and that right. caused real estate bubble and that popped and that created the horrors that followed in the in the financial uh, breakdown. So then you go, whoa, well, they certainly learned from that. Right. And this is back in the Greenspan <laughs> Bernanke. Yeah, era. they've learned. They'll there's, never make that mistake again. There's no way you're going to do that again. Well, and P, by the way, P in that equation, MV equals PQ, P is the price level. And in economics, if you mess with prices and you ruin equilibrium and you don't listen to markets uh, at all, uh, you will create what's called distortions, not in one or two markets. If you mess with the entire price level of the country, you're going to distort the entire country. Right. And so they did this and they held the, the interest rate at zero percent for a 
decade, the Federal Reserve did this after causing the financial crisis. Yes. Right. So not only did they print too much money, they did they 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 needed a way to create even more money. So they did quantitative easing, kept interest rates at zero percent. That's the interest rate is the price of money. And so if you distort the price of money, all of banking is predicated and sits on top of these prices and prices are information. That's the important part. And so people are locked in, as you see right now with this, uh, with the middle level banks, they're locked into contracts for five years. And now at the end of that cycle, they just raised interest rates from zero to 5% in a year. Well, what do you think is going to happen to your economy? Right? So they created huge bubbles again. There's this one's called the everything bubble. Uh, we got our inflation up to nine and now it's down to five or six. Uh, but we're going to live through. Uh, we're not done with this yet. Right. The day of reckoning is still coming. The uh, the amount of stimulus the Fed put on its balance sheet was nine trillion dollars. And that nine trillion w- also served to validate coming coming up from basically one trillion. Yes. In right. other words, they exactly. weren't like they didn't go from 10 trillion to 19 trillion. No. They went from one trillion to nine trillion. Nine trillion right. <laughs> I mean, that was, was stunning. Yes. And, and that was to accommodate uh, in 19. The federal budget was five trillion. And then we had this disaster, COVID, seven trillion, where we gave paychecks to everyone and shut down the economy. And the seven trillion seemed to work. Some of its you know, purpose was to keep people afloat somewhat. Uh and then seven trillion the next year, and then six and a half trillion, and now we just lock that spending in uh, for another uh, four years, likely, right? A- at least two. There's no caps on that uh, debt ceiling increase, and so we just locked in permanently an enhanced two trillion dollars. We locked in an emergency COVID economy for the next two years when we don't even have COVID, and so that's the new normal. Is it's, that it's much the, government? It's the ratcheting money? effect. Yes. Emergency. Right. And yep. then when emergency is over, they don't go down. Right. That's correct. Yeah. And that so that that in a nutshell is where we are right now. So everyone's saying, well, Dave, you've been saying the sky's falling and the, the markets are overvalued and whatever. Well, it's hard to say uh, where the end of this is because the Fed keeps stimulating. Right. So they just added another four trillion in federal government spending this week. And so the markets go hooray. And uh you know this can't end. I'll give you the end story. In in ten years, and this is Congressional Budget Office, the debt is at fifty trillion dollars, and so just take the current interest rate of five percent. Five percent on fifty trillion dollars is two and a half trillion dollars a year in interest. in interest payments. Right. Just in interest payments. Right. I told the whole budget used to be it's half, your, it's half your budget. Yeah. It's half, half the current your budget. budget. Right. It's going to be interest, and that's on the back of the kids. Yes. And so that's the new piece, right? Inflation uh, has caused us to go into that mess uh, and interest rates are now up and paying interest on that debt. That's got the Fed scared because now they're in a no-win position. They can't speed things up without utter, you know, causing utter inflation. They can't slow things down without cratering the banking sector. And so we'll see when this, this stimulus has to end at some point. Uh, and the markets will dictate that. Well, I I, I follow the um, Fed funds futures market very closely, yep. the work yep. report and the CME probability. So one is a prediction of future interest rates as extrapolated from the futures. And the other is the output isn't 
the prediction of the rate. The output is the probability distribution. Okay. Okay. And that market has been screaming that the Fed is done or very yeah. nearly done. Okay, but inflation is still north of 4%. Yep, I know, I'm right, right, right. So what that means is the Fed has to give in on the inflation question, right? And if yep. they, because if they don't and they raise rates, it's a definite yep. recession. But even more yep. than that, it's a definite budget crisis yep. because they're raising the interest rate on the money that the, Fed, that the government is borrowing. So yep. it seems like there is an, it's like it's an inescapable dilemma. Yep. If, if you, no, raise, if you fight inflation, you yep. have to have a debt crisis. If yep. you avoid the debt crisis by continuing interest rate suppression, then you have yep. to have inflation. You, it's an yep. unsolvable problem given, yep. the, given the policy outcomes that they've been right. pursuing. Yeah, I, I, I personally, I think they'll probably bump it another 0.25 again and just gently keep going up, up, up because they don't want the interest costs. They, they have to beat down inflation. There's no way. And even the left is probably telling them you got to get rid of this inflation because we got government spending to do. You can't be spending all of our money on interest payments. That's going to crush our agenda. Right, right. Futures market thinks that they'll be, that they'll be cutting by the end of the year. Yeah, I um, know. Because, yeah, but it's been saying that forever. I, I'm, I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting. Yeah, look, I don't know for sure. I, I, yeah. I, I guess my approach is, uh, I think markets are smarter than I am. And even though yeah. we do, we do macroeconomic forecasting. I yeah, trust yeah. the market's forecast more than I trust mine. But yeah, um, same here. so it seems to me that this is the great challenge of the next generation. Not No, not yeah. the next generation. This generation yeah. of business leaders is yeah. how to deal with this Keynesian endgame. Yeah. Well, and, and one thing I point out is I don't think that is the challenge. I think it's the second challenge. But the real challenge for me is what I call the real economy, right? Uh, the real economy, if you go look at Robert Gordon at Northwestern University, he's the best economist in the country for 40 years, and he's nonpartisan, he's not political, on productivity growth. And so productivity has been going down for 40 years straight. Right. Back at Reagan, it was 4 or 5%. Now it's 1%. That is the real problem. Because hmm. in the past, you could make a plausible argument, eh, don't worry, Dave, we're going to grow our way out of this thing. Now, anyone says that, I just start laughing. Right. Because I just went over the causes of growth on our little historical excursion there. Uh, but the causes of growth are basically your capital stock, investment in capital, uh, investment in human capital, education. How's our K to 12 doing? How's our higher ed doing? Hmm. And technological growth. And so earnings and profits, you know, that are the, the mother's milk of the stock market, they're all predicated There's on Larry Kudlow that, right there. That's yeah, a Kudlowism. Yes, right. Yep, yep, right. Yep. They're all predicated on having a real economy that works. So right now you can't see the real economy. It's a carcass, right? If you just, if you got rid of the nine trillion on the Fed balance sheet and got rid of seven trillion a year in government spending, oh my word. Yeah. It, you know, it you've would got, be You've got utter, Japan. You've got Japan right. for two, two lost decades in our case. Yes. So you're not seeing, you're seeing the real economy. Okay, it looks like people are making stuff and there's incomes and there's profits. But if, if the simple ways, take away the artificial sugar high, the artificial stimulus, and ask yourself, what would that economy look like without it? Yeah. And that's economics, right? What if? What, what would it look like if we hadn't done that? Right, right. And that, for me, is the most pressing uh, because that's what we're leaving the kids, right? The day of the Protestant work ethic yeah. and all of the virtuous cycle that went with it is toast. Also, I wonder to what degree even the quote-unquote real economy, the private economy, yeah. is... Yeah parasitical in the sense yeah. that, you know, what's what's been growing? 
social media, streaming services, yeah, uh, right. online gambling, yeah, <laughs> video games. Like it's not we're yeah. not getting a whole lot. You know, we're not getting right. faster airplanes. No, we're not getting flying cars. Nope. We're not getting longer lifespans. We're getting dopamine, psychological yep. addiction. I mean, draft. Yep. I, I'm not saying we should shut DraftKings down, but DraftKings <laughs> lives off in the the lottery yep. and the and the streaming service. It lives off our idleness and addiction yep, right. to dopamine. It's essentially yep. it's parasitical in nature. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. It's, it's all consumerist, and that's why productivity is going down, down, down. And we got these smartphones, which we're supposed to, you know juice our economy or something. And uh, Gordon at Northwestern says, everybody says, I see technology all around me. And Gordon says uh, in rebuttal, yeah, I see technology all around me er everywhere as well. I just don't see it in the data, Hmm. right? There was a little dot-com blip for a little bit, you know, back 20 years ago, but not since, no. Technology, artificial intelligence could be an outlier there. This thing really does look like it has productivity outcomes in the reduction of uh, labor tasks that can be massive. Well, I can tell you, Little Boyer Research is leaping ahead of companies that are 50 times our size with 20-year head starts by using AI. Unreal. Uh, So I agree with you. There is something there. But there's also going to be the same thing. Like there's also going to be a consumerist, like the technology company can be growth right. or can be distraction. Yes. Right. 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 Yeah. And yep. AI can be technology growth and it can be yep. distraction. And th- yep. that really comes back to the Protestant work ethic, right? Yeah. Like along yep. the, the, you know, the great challenges along came gin, remember gin alley. Yeah. Right. Yep. And then you have the Wesleyan revivals and it's like yep. technology enabled them to create alcohol really inexpensively. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. And so then yep. you need a temperance movements. Right. So it's almost like we need temperance movements from the distraction economy to yeah. really use our phones to get yeah. work done and the AI Wisely. to get work done rather than to stop us from getting work done. No, it's the culture. The culture is everything. And that, that you know, that's a, a perfect example. And, uh, yeah, the cultural piece, uh, the Wall Street Journal about a month ago had, uh, you know, religiosity and uh, patriotism, which are, you know, correlated, uh, both falling from about 70 percent to the high 30s, 38, 39 in, fi- in the last five years. Religiosity and patriotism falling off about 20 percentage points each. Wow. And uh, that is not a good barometer. And that was, you know, Wall Street Journal polling, a big, safe kind of look. And uh, that that's just horrifying. Uh, and, and the left's gotten away with murder, right? In science, if you're going to replace a hypothesis, you have to replace it with something that explains more with less. And uh, so we've gotten rid of Judeo-Christian ethics. Uh, would you please explain what theory you put forward uh, that's going to do better? Uh, and I, I don't see anything on the horizon. No, they have queer theory or various forms right. of all yeah. the forms of critical theory, which, yeah. are, which are only demolition theories. They're not, They're not construction testable, theories. Right? Marx, that's Marx's theory was, it was testable and it was proven wrong every single time in economics. Right, right, right. right? The so, class struggle and the causal nexus in his theory was zero. 
And so, yeah, but it's entirely effective ideologically, right? Right. It's good. At, it's good at accumulating power, just not a, yes. good at explaining yeah. human behavior. Um, it's good at exploiting right. human behavior. Yes. But what right. did Marx say? The idea is not to understand the world, but to change but it. Change it, right? Yeah. It's just right. It's like, depressing. well, how do you know what direction to change it in if you don't understand don't it? And it's like doesn't care. matter. With, it's, yeah, no. it's the point is I'm changing it. I'm an agent of change. I'm in charge. Yeah. You know, change we can believe yeah. in. All right. So let's talk about your comp. You do an annual conference, and to me, yeah. this is actually a logical segue because yeah. my personal belief is that the future of our civilization is spiritual renewal yeah. in the marketplace. Right. Good. Now I'm yep. I'm ordained clergy, you know, but I I don't have, but that's not mainly where I'm spending my time. Okay, I'm a marketplace yeah. person. Yeah. I just don't have a lot of hope necessarily for what I'm seeing mainly in the institutional church. Yeah. It's there. It's good. Bless it. God created it. All right. Yeah. I, I feel like maybe the zone here is going to be in the marketplace. Oh, so. so so you bring together CEOs. Yeah. From around the world. Yeah. Um. La last year from Africa, for example, yep. Yep. Uh, around the world to, to well, you explained it. It's so your, your conference. Tell us about your, yeah. your annual summit. Yeah, well, it just started out. Uh, we, we started out with the summit uh, on China, and I had all the China hawks up in D.C. for an event. And then we said, well, this thing looks interesting. A lot of business people were interested. That Next year, we had a CEO summit with a few hundred CEOs and leaders, et cetera. And then next uh, year, we had about 500 CEOs, and then we have an a Africa outreach. So we've had you know pres former presidents from Ghana. We had the entire DRC Congo trade delegation show up last year. Uh, we had several very, very high wealth, prominent Nigerian uh, friends come, all Christians, sub-Saharan Africa, 600 million Christians uh, in Africa. And uh, so, you know, the, the, the China's going to get rich, India's going to get rich, I I Africa uh, just does not have the connection nexus yet. And so uh, part of our mission is just to make friends and uh, help spread some uh, U.S. capital uh, to Africa with our friends there uh, looking for win-win opportunities. Uh, but the CEO Summit, we just kind of cover the, the breadth of issues that we think the CEOs would want to learn about. We have former Secretary of Defenses and cyber experts coming in, artificial intelligence experts coming in this year clerks to the Supreme Court, uh, the w women executive CEO panels, uh, just across the board, every major topic you can think of that affects uh, modern business. And the breadth, uh, you don't hear about it. Uh, you know, it's, I'm, I'm working on some populist economic stuff right now. I'm almost having fun laughing at it. It's related to this summit. But the economics profession right now, along with the mainstream media, isn't explaining what what is 50 trillion in debt look like right it's amazing the economics profession hasn't tackled it you haven't read anything about it uh the fact that we might go to war with taiwan Rand did a thing there's a five or ten percent gdp hit gdp hit to the u.s and a 10 or 20 percent gdp hit to china i haven't seen any economists working on this by the way five five to ten percent gdp hit isn't, GDP. A, rece isn't a recession it is oh, a no. depression it, you're you just lost a fifth year, a tenth of your country here and a fifth there. Right. Right. It's yeah, it's a depression. And that's with no no land war in on China's land. That's just Taiwan. Hmm. And so, you know, these are the issues. What does it look like if you have a, an invasion of your border uh, with fentanyl coming in that's killed more people than all the wars since Vietnam? Uh, 
where's the economic analysis of the inefficiencies and harms and full costs, right? Supply and demand's good. If you in include the full costs of every transaction, it can still do the explanation. <clears throat> but the economics profession, the mainstream media are just gone. And so at this summit, uh, you know, people get together and just get to share their faith, uh, their values, uh, the like-minded, the, the real news of the day, what's really affecting and your work, ESG stuff, you know, if you're still investing, you know, full steam ahead in China, at some point, there's got to be a fiduciary responsibility, a fiduciary risk and a risk of you getting sued uh, for not knowing. Right. You have to know yeah. uh, if you're a board member or whatever, uh, there's a responsibility that you should know, at least what's in the in the newspapers right, as you're making forward. I, I just asked the CEO of Comcast about that yesterday. Yeah. Good. Um, Great. You know, because someone had a proposal on the ballot. Um, yep. It was, uh, I think, National Center for Public Policy Research. Um, yep. And they, 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 you know, they didn't want to do it. And I, I asked, I, I, was, I was respectful. I said, I, it yep. looks to me like CEOs has, have, have historically yep. underestimated China risk. Yep. Now, I'm right. not a protectionist. Yep. I'm not an economic nationalist. Yep. Um, I'm I'm also a realist. We have pretty intertwined economies, and we can't yeah. decouple on, in five minutes. I get all that, <laughs> but know. at least at least a, an yeah. honest look yeah. at the risk, because that right. was like El Dorado. It's oh yeah. China, it's a billion and a half people. It's going to make us yeah. rich, and there's a graveyard of technology transfer and failed yeah. joint ventures, and yeah. these CEOs are like hypnotized by it, and they're yeah. not making an honest assessment of the risk of getting in, intertwined with China. Yeah. Yeah, no, the uh, the the most recent analysis of defense, right, uh, is our aircraft carrier uh, battle groups are, are, are at huge risk. Uh, and 90% of the Chinese military technology has been given to them by us. And uh, how in the world you can do that, right? If we... If, if our aircraft carriers go over there and destroy, they're they're just sitting ducks. I I think with the satellites and the modern you know hypersonic missiles and technology at play right now, right. And uh, that it, it, you know if we don't keep the sea lanes open, the old Bretton Woods liberal world order. Uh, Jamie Dimon, Grotius, Grotius, the Mare Liberum, right? The free yeah. seas. Yep. Go, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. And, and J even Jamie Dimon came out you know the other day said. I, he was talking to China indirectly because he's over there. He said, you know, they, they've got to realize, you know, this this liberal uh, trading order uh, is what made them rich in, in in order to kind of win them over. Like, you know, can we kind of keep our ships going through there? You know, like 50 percent of world trade goes through these little few straits over there. And uh, so we'll see. It's going to be very interesting times coming up. All right. So um, the uh, CEO summit, is there a way that people can find out more about, that? I, I, you know, if the. Uh, yep. You know, is there someplace online where they can learn more about it? Yeah, well, I, I just uh, I don't market it or whatever. I just go through trusted friends like you and uh, people okay. I know with, uh, you know, solid intellectual, you know, re religious uh, shared values. I get your point. This is not an open forum, right? Yeah, right I mean, right, so it's right. it's referral. So if somebody yeah, yeah. knows you or they know me or whatever. Yeah, just yeah. email me or email you. Right. Uh, email me at liberty, dabrat at liberty.edu. And it, it is CEOs and C-suite folks, uh, and it, it's not a sales conference, uh, right? It's not a lobbying conference. It's not a fundraising conference. It's people in faith networking, uh, for example, to help Africa make connections with our CEOs. Hmm. Uh, to, and I always tell the CEOs to come. You know, I'm not promising you're going to find a win here, 
But I'll guarantee out of 700 well-intentioned uh, Christian business people, you're going to find a lot of people that will say, hey, what do you need? And I'm going to help you. Right. And that's that's the secret sauce mm. is that just uh, shared uh, Christian brotherhood and sisterhood uh, of the, the egos get deflated immediately. Uh, you're in a distinctly Christian environment uh, where everyone just intuitively, you know, the, you know, we're all still, everyone's still self-interested. They're not stupid, uh, but there's one, some layers of trust are, you know, have, have evaporated. And so it makes for a much more uh, fulfilling experience. Well, I think Christian CEOs need some place where they can be themselves and yeah, not, that's and, not and not be playing defense all the time yeah. and wondering if I say the wrong thing, is my career over? Yeah. Where they can yep, just talk it. about their concerns without yeah. being on guard. Yeah. 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 And it's not ideological. The thing isn't. No, it isn't. We no. don't target it to be some ideological thing. It's just the truth. Whatever the truth is, let's talk about it. Let's do business together. Yeah. yeah I think I think it's a terrific conference. I'm looking forward to it. All right, uh, Dean Brad, anything else you want to leave us with before we go? Did we do enough MVPQ and and your doctoral yeah. dissertation and uh, ESG and all the rest of it? Or is there something else? I you think we add? covered everything. We covered China, M2. We, I think you hit it. That's why it's fun talk with you. Was it, you're, you're, was it Jeff, yeah. Jefferson writing to Adams or Adams wrote to Jefferson said, my friend, we have lived in serious times. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And we are living in serious times. And it's not yeah. entirely clear to me that our yeah. times are any less serious, that our times over the next 10 years no. are going to be less serious than their times. Right. That's right. No, our, our founders were all uh, in that deep Judeo-Christian tradition, highly educated along with a devotion to enlightenment reason and rationality, not just this narrow scientific rationality we have, but Socrates and the, the, the tradition of human reason and arguing and debate like the Jewish rabbis. Right. And uh, boy, that's, that's missing right now. So time to revive it. All right. Well, that's what you're doing every day with those students, with Got your 28,000 students. And yeah, may right. God bless them and God bless you. God bless you, Jerry. Thank you for all you do. Thank you, Dean Brad. I'm Jerry Boyer. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Meeting of Minds. 